You're listening to this episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I am uh, your co-host, Sean Devine. And I am the janitor, Kyle Daigle. I, I thought you had decided you are the host as of last week. Uh, you know, it's uh, one of those gigs that is sometimes great and sometimes too much work. So, <laughs> Right. You're optionally responsible. Sort of like your parenting. <laughs> or occasionally, you know, intermittently responsible. Yeah, I mean, it seems about right. Wait, wait. Shh, shh, shh. Do you hear that? I hear something in the background. Those are frogs. They're frogs. I definitely thought they were insects for sure. Yeah, crickets I think or something. they kind of sound like crickets if crickets were more melodic. Uh, so they're spring peepers. I think every year this time I'll tell the same story. But So we've got these ponds in the back of our house, and uh, spring peepers mate for about three weeks, maybe four, in uh, the beginning of the spring. So uh, they were tricked into thinking spring started a bit early this year, but they at night they sound like, like thousands of jingle bells jingling all at the same time. And they're quite cute. I wasn't sure how my wife would feel about them, but she she's a uh, frog fan, so hmm. it's allowed me to uh, to let loose my frog fandom as well. Who'd have known? <laughs> we wouldn't have guessed it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I would have bet it hard against Teresa being a frog fan, but she <laughs> is. Uh, you know how when you go to a party, or I mean, maybe when you're younger, you went out on a date and you were like concerned about. Well, you know, maybe you weren't, but kind of pacing yourself in terms of topics like, well, I have enough to talk about later and maybe we're going to hang out another time this weekend and I don't want to like blow all my good stories early on in this relationship. Do you ever feel that way? Nope. Okay. I have a shotgun approach to conversations. Me neither, <laughs> uh, which is, is how we're going to approach this show. So we brainstormed a bunch of topics before the show. I say we cover all of them. Yeah, I just want to see where this takes us. You know, mm -hmm. so first I have some I have some uh, hot takes or requests for hot takes quickly. Hot takes. So you were out in San Francisco recently. Yep. Uh, tell me about that. What um, were you there for? Still above water. Uh, I was there for GDC Game Developers Conference. Because you're a gamer or because you work for GitHub? Why not both? <laughs> <laughs> now, were you I able to... I the box that was business and pleasure. <laughs> it reminds me when I worked for Conway and we sponsored... Um, uh, well, we had this NASCAR truck, which I've mentioned, but it was owned by the people that own the Red Sox, which I may or may not have mentioned on air. And because of that, uh, when we first kicked off the conference, or conference, the sponsorship, we had a meeting at Fenway Park about it. And at the time, I was a gigantic Red Sox fan, like would watch most games. Uh, before I moved out of uh, Boston, I went to, I don't know, I went to 25 games a year, probably listened to 100 a year. So I was a big fan. And anyway, so now we've got this business relationship with a company that owns the Red Sox. And uh, so uh, you know, we have a meeting there and the meeting included like some Fenway Park tourist type activities, except instead of like being on the tour group, we were with like the, the president of the group that owns the, the team. And I absolutely blew it in terms of keeping it cool and like not letting my uh, fan flag fly, which is how I imagine you at the uh, GDC floor. So tell me about it. Yeah, so I mean, I basically just uh, with my colleague uh, and friend Rick Olson, uh, we were two of the technical people uh, at the booth. And so every time 
somebody would come up and we would recognize their company and we would just say oh you know how uh, like what do you do for them you know and, oh i built this game that you've played basically you know in so many words and so we just kind of gushed over them can you name drop it all um i or met game drop as that, it is uh worked on hearthstone or works on hearthstone which is a big uh online card game from blizzard and based in world of warcraft mm-hmm. uh people who built rainbow six siege and the division two giant time clancy games that have been out recently and then i i met someone who uh worked on Wildstar, but um so a week before gdc uh carbine studios uh had a massive round of layoffs uh, and so when it said Carbine Studios, I, the, my first question was basically, oh, do you work on Wildstar? And he was like, yeah, I'm an art person, blah, blah, blah. And then it dawns on me like, oh, God, why did I ask? And he's like, I don't actually work there anymore, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm sorry. Here's a T-shirt. <laughs> so I'm glad he made it less awkward for you. Or maybe I'm not glad. He I don't know. I just stewing it. It didn't dawn on me until it was too late, and I I would have I would have had to say something. I couldn't just let that sit there. So this is a dumb question, but let, let's say I'm a game developer, like one of the people you just mentioned. Is my workflow in GitHub similar to the workflow that I'm familiar with and you're familiar with, or is it is it different? Is it common? Like, what's the what's the deal? I mean, to be honest, most AAA game developers don't use GitHub for their games. Um, the the sort of problem with uh, Git is that it contains a complete history of every change. And so you like upload a giant, like, I don't know, art asset, like a texture or something, you know, every time you change that, the repository grows by that. And so there's ways around that, like Git Annex or Git LFS, um, but it doesn't have complete uh, functionality like other, um, other, uh, code solutions have you know where you can lock a file and say you know i'm working on this right now so you you can't edit it you you know i'm going to push something up later i don't want you to work on this because you can't really diff a binary file uh you know things like that that git doesn't really have uh in any meaningful way and so uh, so what source code control um platforms do people use then if not um, subversion and perforce Mm. so um, there's 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 a features that are making it easier, but it's it, most of the people I talk to that use Git or GitHub for their games are indies or midsize, um, you know, groups. So are, are you there just to sort of learn about these gaps and understand, I don't know, how Git and GitHub fit and don't fit, or are you there to just socialize? Yeah, I mean, learn about gaps, talk about how we've already closed some of them and try and understand, like, what it would take to close them all, basically. Um, And see, like, you know, figure out more if there is a fit, you know. Um, And to be clear, I'm in engineering, so I don't have the... I don't have like the giant blueprint in, uh, in front of me of like this is what we're gonna do, uh, but my that was my sort of goal was just you know I can talk about Git LFS which fixes large file storage a little bit um, and then just see what people uh, are doing with GitHub. Well, it's you a could lot of pretend fun to do these things. You could pretend you're in product management and just make it up when they ask you. Yeah, I mean it's kind of better when you don't because like everyone is so used to being sold at these things that when you're like oh I, I work on this like part of GitHub they're like oh okay so like, you're just gonna explain this to me and not 
try and sell me an enterprise license. <laughs> now, do you think they figure out that you're not a salesperson before you tell them? It says on my badge, and so you can watch people just not a salesperson. Look, basically, <laughs> it says engineer, which is pretty, which is pretty, uh, you know, nice. <laughs> it, it says it right on my uh, shirt, my my yeah. in my in my slacks. <laughs> I can't sell you anything. It's, it's yeah, it says it right on my person, <laughs> my yeah. es- my essence. Uh, okay, tell me about uh, the most important thing about this trip, which is your strategy when eating alone while traveling. <laughs> yeah, so... I've thought about this all week. <laughs> that's so funny. It's funny that that intrigues you so much. To me, At least it's funny to me. Uh, I have a lot of... You know, I mean, many other things in my life that wouldn't even really dawn on me, like whether or not I was, I don't know, handling it in a cool way. I wouldn't even... It's strange to even say it that way because it wouldn't even occur to me to think about it that way except when I'm eating alone while traveling. And then all of a sudden I'm very aware of what I think would be kind of a jackass way to handle it or not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... So most of the week I ate with other people, to be honest, but uh, but sometimes after doing these conference days, I like relish in eating by myself, you know, just because it's so exhausting talking to people all day. And so I... I generally like to go to restaurants that are relatively quiet. Like, now, hold on, I'm in your I'm in your Slack channel. You are absolutely asking people to go out to dinner with you. Yeah, this well, is a little like, this is a little revisionist. This idea that you're, uh, <laughs> you know, what I just like, want a quiet night by myself at the at the well, bar. Well, no, I mean that. So the night that the night that I went out, that was awesome. I totally like was like I'm going out by myself tonight. Like everyone, back off of me. But then, but then I wanted to get together with some people that are in our Slack channel, and unfortunately, it didn't work out. But I had dinner with other people that night. Now, when you go out to dinner by yourself, do you do you don a particular type of outfit, like a cable knit sweater, or a, I don't know, uh, reading glasses, or anything else? Uh, no, uh, in San Francisco, I'm not sure there are outfits really. <laughs> <laughs> I think people are just like, oh, you probably have money, and so they let you in. <laughs> I see. Okay, so your strategy. So you sit uh, at a table or at no, a bar? No, definitely not. At a bar. Yeah, definitely at a bar. And hopefully it's a relatively quiet bar uh, that won't mind serving me food and has extra time to have funny conversations with me. <laughs> so you're a talk-to-the-bartender kind of guy? I like the opportunity to talk to a bartender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like this person doesn't need to entertain me. They're not my court jester, but, but I'd rather do that than sit at a table by myself. Do you read? No, I never, never, Interesting. never. Not even a book. Nope. 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 If the, if, if, if <laughs> the people watching and bartendering isn't enjoyable enough, I'll poke around on my phone. But generally I like to sit there and with nothing going and just kind of see who will, what what will happen (laughs) and it's always been fun i've gotten a lot of good stories out of just sitting at a bar and eating a meal and just kind of like waiting to see if someone will sit down next to me and strike up a conversation that i'll enjoy or the bartender is interesting or you know so if if a listener sees you out at the bar eating alone is that kind of code for back off or should they come up and sit down come up and sit down (laughs) why not it's a good story it's like, I like keeping my options open that way. And then I just buddy up to the bartender about like, I try to like keep a tact of like, you know, oh man, like your night must be busy or like, you know, something that's just kind of like, uh, like take your guard down. I want to hear like a good story, you know, it generally works. I usually get good stories out of bartenders. 
Did you get the sense that this bartender could sing? Um, that is a great question. I don't think so. <laughs> Can you sing? Think, I don't. Uh, no. Uh, like really no, or like no, like everyone says they can't sing. No, I am mediocre at best. Okay, so you're not tone deaf. You can carry yeah, yeah, a tune. Yeah, yeah, I did music all through my life, but I just don't. I would not ever want to sing on demand. <laughs> <laughs> like in 30 minutes when I ask you to sing the outro. Exactly. Okay. Uh, quick hot take: uh, Slack versus Basecamp. Uh, if you could invest a dollar right now, and I'm going to say. Uh, the valuation is just, I don't know, kind of the communities, I don't know, the the general sense of the goodness of these tools, like, I don't know, whatever that means. In other words, if you could, you, you could invest a dollar based on whether or not they'll go up or down from where they are right now, uh, what would you do? Oh, man. That's, that's funny, because when we were talking about this earlier, I definitely wasn't thinking of it like that, because I don't think my answer is probably as crystal clear now. Man, I think that Basecamp is probably the more, like, sure bet. Like, it'll grow consistently at a, like, relatively slow pace, you know? So, like, it's a savings bond, maybe. Slack has got a lot going for it, but I'm not sure if it's going to, like, become a Skype, you know? Or if it is a Skype already, I don't really know at scale. Um, but... Hard to see Sky, uh, Slack not working out to me. Yeah. Myself, yeah. Like, when's the last time you talked to someone, like, in your real life, not, like, read a post on Medium, but, I mean, like, really talked to someone where they're like, you know what sucks is Slack? Like, never. <laughs> like, I've never had that moment. And I've definitely had, I don't think I've ever heard someone say that Basecamp sucked, but I've heard many, many people say, Basecamp, I just don't use it. Like, that's yeah. a thing. Yeah. Whereas, like, I don't think Slack has an adoption problem. I don't think Slack has an adoption problem necessarily, I, but I don't think that. I think it's done a lot of things well in a ecosystem of really shitty things. You know, like it's it's made a lot of great choices, like integrations, great choice. You know, letting a lot of people use it for free, great choice. You know, uh, it costs a metric crap ton of money if you're a business and you want to use it. Great, it really choice. does, man. Uh, <laughs> and so. Like, I get all that, but at the same time, like, you know, it. I feel like its its secret sauce has been, you know, divulged. And so, while I don't think some startup's going to come in and, like, like every startup on Twitter right now is like, use Slack, try the better new thing. Is <laughs> uh, They're all doing right now. Uh, I'm just, I'm not, I guess I'm not sure it's a sure thing. I'm sure, I think it's a good bet. I just, I'm not sure it's a, it's a sure thing right now. I think the idea that Slack is, I tweeted about this today, but that it's kind of a basic technology in any way mystifies me. <laughs> like, it really does. Like, Slack does not seem, like, to get Slack to work the way that it does at the scale that it does and to have, like, you know, the delight, so to speak, all the marshmallows and candy canes everywhere, wicked hard. Wicked hard. Like, I mean, I won't pick on GitHub, but, like, GitHub's been at it a lot longer than Slack, and, like, they're not in the same universe in terms of, like, how well they're executed. Like, GitHub's good, but it's not like the Slack seems to have fit and finish on every single detail in every corner of this monstrosity of a product. Right, and I think that, so I think two things with Slack are, like, one, 
I think I'm like, okay, now what? Like, if you look at Slack now, like, it's like turning into checkbox hell, you know? It's like, okay, I'm going to click my little gear here, and then additional options, and then, like, you know, it's, it, I agree that in general, like, most of the interactions you have with it are pretty darn great, but, like, at the same time, like, I feel like it's going around the corner of, like, all these businesses need all these things, and so... Uh, you know, it's getting a little uh, intense to, to, to use. But I also think that, like, in general, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm do- talking so much more in Slack than I ever have before, like, using other chat tools. And I can't honestly tell if that's good or not. And I love chat. Like, I love the social aspect of chat, you know, connecting me to my colleagues, connecting to me to my friends, so on and so forth. But when it when it comes to like normal work stuff i feel like i'm spending a lot more time in chat than i ever have and i just can't tell if that's good or not um and, and so i'm starting to get this like weird fatigue with it and so i think it's just it's turning my like perception of the tool a little bit from when it first came out which was like oh my god this is like miles and miles ahead of every other tool that has ever existed in this space so like yeah it's great but like you know <laughs> I mean, Slack still seems to me to be pretty async if you want it to be. Uh, I mean, I, I, I suppose I understand how either by personality one wouldn't feel that way or by certain uh, dynamics, you know, cultural dynamics in some teams. It just may not be, in fact, that way. But uh, anyhow, so back to our hot take. So I am, uh, let's, uh, let's put a line in the sand. So I am selling Basecamp, buying Slack, uh, which did you decide? Um, I am putting a dollar under my mattress. <laughs> no, no, no that, uh, that is not an option. I, am, <laughs> um, I mean, man, I don't know, man. I don't Doesn't know make for why good radio. So I don't know does not make for good radio. I guess does... I would say I'll buy Basecamp and sell Slack. Oh, I mean, wow. I think that I don't think that Basecamp is necessarily like going, you know, crazy over there. It's like not even in a, a, the same universe in terms of scale or anything like that. But the people that do use it seem to really love it. And the people who don't use it are just like, eh, whatever, like I'm not losing anything by not using it. And so I'm kind of curious, like compared to Slack, which is basically saying, if you use email, you can use this, you know? We'll fix it for you by using Slack, which is great. But I also think that at some point there's going to be a backlash of people who don't actually need Slack and have been using Slack. Um, and so I don't know. I, I again, I, I think they're both going to continue to be successful companies. I don't think Slack's going to like implode. I don't think Basecamp's going to implode either. I think it's just. I think I, I do think Slack will, might have a little bit of a correction in comparison to Basecamp, who has always been super clear about how like, hey, this might not be for you anymore, so leave. Well, I think interestingly, the you just kind of brought up something in your comments that I've been thinking about, which is that Slack is both more primitive. In other words, it has like it exposes more primitives than Basecamp does, and like composable sort of things you can do. And it's also much. It, it sort of offers a more integrated whole too. So it sort of almost covers the two ends of the spectrum to me. And Basecamp lives in between, which it doesn't really expose these primitives so much, at least to me. Um, 
But it also doesn't, you know, it, it's not this like monstrous, you know, integrated thing either. It's like a a series of integrated medium-sized features. And I think, you know, I'm back to uh, DHH's, you know, Omakasa deal. I think, you know, Basecamp is sort of like an Omakasa blend between some traditional project management tool and a chat communication tool. Um, but man, the number of people that that's the right answer for as compared to uh, something that both has an integrated hole that's more polished and has more composable primitives, it seems it seems like they're boxed in to me. But. Yeah. Anywho, let me tell you about our first sponsor. Guess who it is? Braintree. Fine. Now it's Braintree. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. All right. This is your uh, this is your twelve minute uh, after the timeout break. Brought to you by Braintree. Braintree's code for easy online payments. If you're building a mobile app and searching for a simple payments solution, check out Braintree. The Braintree V.0 SDK makes it easy to offer multiple mobile payment types. Start accepting PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, credit cards, and more, all with a single integration. You know, we've never talked about this V.0. Now, do you think that uh, naming the first uh, version of uh, of an API V.0 is sort of clever in a good way or clever in a bad way? I don't even know that it's clever. Oh, kind of. Bless your heart, Braintree, but... I mean, it's meant to be clever. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> so you, so that, I think that means clever in a bad way. <laughs> I'm going to translate. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Anyhow, V.0 uh, SDK uh, it just takes one small snippet of code and you're all set in less than 10 minutes. Plus, Braintree offers quick, knowledgeable developer support if you have any questions, whether you're just getting going or you're well down the path on a more complicated integra- integration. You can learn more and you'll get your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free if you go to braintreepayments.com slash railspodcast. That's braintreepayments.com slash railspodcast. Thanks to them for sponsoring. V.0. V.0. So you're, let me get this straight. You're selling Slack and you're selling V.0. <laughs> lots, of, lots of strong positions so far. Oh, man. Yeah was not my intention. <laughs> All right. So, so we have a few topics we chatted about. Uh, oh, wait. I forgot to mention a topic today. Yes. That I needed to bring up with you. Uh-huh. A lot of people are worried about your health, Sean. Yeah. Ever since our developer health episode, a lot of people have, have reached out to me <laughs> checking in about us. But, you know, primarily I, you. <laughs> I have a... So this is going to... This is going to border on the way too much information uh, side of things, but I think it makes for good radio, so I'm going to do it. Uh, So I, you know, I've got this back issue, which I am intent on fixing. So I've been going to going to a back doctor who's done precisely nothing for me so far, and he, you know, (laughs) the best part is he gets paid either way. Oh yeah. So and he, I I like him okay. Except, you know, I, this is going to, this sounds, Except a- I don't, <laughs> well, this sounds ageist and I don't really mean it that way, but you know, that feeling you get when the doctor says for the fourth time, I've been doing this 30 years and you're like, am I, sh- are you sure this, am I sure this is good? This 30 years? Like, uh. I'd rather they say I've been doing it for like eight years. That's my number. Every time somebody goes, oh yeah, like 
believe in me because I've been doing this so long. Negative impact for me. Absolutely. Instant negative impact. I'm like, if you like if you need to explain to me like the your your time and grade to to help me feel better about the meal you just made me or the knee you are about to replace in me or whatever, I have instantly uninterested like disinterested in be- working with you <laughs> well i think it's i think that there's like a curve here so it, if you said like hey good news i'm really enthusiastic because this is my first consultation with a back uh patient i would be concerned uh and like that would continue if it was if you're in your probably first year of seeing patients and then like i don't know between this is my second year and this is my seventh or eighth year i'd be feeling better about you as as it went but by I've been doing this 30 years, I start to wonder, like, I don't know. I don't know if this is good. <laughs> so and he repeats that he's been doing this 30 years all the time. And then, and then he says, I think this is to somehow make me feel better. And it has the opposite effect. He's like, you know, I remember back when MRIs weren't invented yet. And I still have been doing this a long time. And I'm like, this is not good. Um, that we would you know, inject a dye into the nerve up top and then let gravity take hold and it like drip down through your body until it hits an obstruction and doesn't go further. And we take the picture and can't see that it went further. And like, that must be the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So then he tells, they, then they attach the leeches to you to suck the dye back exactly. out. Exactly. Well, so he sent me to an MRI, which I feel better about because this is a, you know, is a, uh, seems like it'd be helpful to have an MRI of this situation. <laughs> so I get the report from the MRI. And uh, like, like I, I personally got the report like mailed to my house. And this is before I had gone back to the doctor. And I'm reading, reading the report. And, you know, it's like almost intentionally difficult to read for a non-doctor. But, you know, so I've, I've got my phone and I'm looking up all the words. And like there's an aside in one of the lines that says like right kidney atrophic, blah, 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 blah. I was like, right kidney atrophic. I know all those words individually. <laughs> Is this where you live on the air ask me for a kidney? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyhow, what's your blood type? That's my question. Oh, man. Unfortunately, I'm AB positive, which is basically the worst blood type for a kidney transplant. You just made that up. But if you if you, if you you need platelets, I'm your guy. <laughs> right? Kidney atrophic. I can't even... There, there has to be a word so for that. So have you talked to him about this yet? Yes. Okay. So yeah, new kidney or... Well, he's like, well, All you know... joking aside, are you getting a total back transplant? Exactly. With a, they're going to throw a kidney in for free if you if you pay now. Did you ever see the video of the Tesla stations where you like drive in and then there's like a robot that comes up from below the car oh, yeah, and like, rips out battery. the battery and like flips it around and puts, this is what I'm looking for. So I drove into a Tesla station and said, I, I, I need that just for, for me. Awesome. Yeah, no. So he, what he told me about my kidney was not comforting. Basically, it was this. It was... Uh, well, it could have been that the MRI just didn't see your kidney in like atrophic men, like not in view, or it could mean that you never had much of a kidney. And in which case, you know, you seem like you're doing fine, or it could be a sign of a pretty big problem. <laughs> like, oh, this is where I have a meltdown. This is why I hate doctors altogether. Not yeah. because they do a bad job, but because everything they find is either this is amazing. Or you're probably dead already. Are you dead right now? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And he did. Then he took my pulse. Right. And he's like, <laughs> you know, this isn't really my wheelhouse, though. You should probably go talk to a primary care physician. I'm like, well, if I know there, if I know anything at this point in my life, it's that nothing's in the primary care physician's wheelhouse. Right. So, <laughs> a primary care physician is a train conductor who <laughs> is just in charge of getting you to the right stations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. All so, right, anyways... Well. That Glad signs, to hear things are going well. <laughs> signs for concern, not obviously going down. Did you know that using a stand-up desk makes your kidney disappear? <laughs> that is the takeaway from all this. Yeah, hey man, I'm, I am a scientist. I feel like calling someone an atrophic something is a is a underused insult. I can't wait for you to start calling me that. Now. <laughs> my atrophic co-host yeah <laughs> my my waste I, I remember i i uh i looked it up in my you know dictionary on my phone uh what atrophic meant when i knew what it meant but i'm like just what is what do the words in the dictionary say when i'm trying to grasp the meaning of this awful sentence in this piece of paper and it, and it was awful it was like wasting away <laughs> like waste <laughs> wasting away that doesn't feel formal enough for a d- dictionary definition. To yeah, me. I mean that also seems like yeah, it's pretty colloquial. I feel like I could like, like I feel like a lot of people like on their business cards it'll just say like Kyle Daigle, software engineer colon atrophic. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, here it is. So uh, atrophic. Uh, first thing it says: number one, waste away. Awesome. Typically due to a degeneration of cells or become vestigial. <laughs> vestigial. Oh, wow. I like how the, I like how it gets more scientific after they just drop the bomb on you that you're useless. Yeah, exactly. You're start, turning into dust. Start with the fancier words, por favor. Oh man. Yeah. Anyways, well, thanks to uh, thanks to you for relaying other people's concern. I appreciate appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone, look, he's still alive. This isn't a very mm-hmm. uh, good AI. <laughs> I watched a bunch of movies, speaking of AI, on the way out to San Francisco. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, if you want a hot take on movies from five years ago, I'm your guy. <laughs> five years ago? Not what was really. even out five years ago? I watched uh, I watched The Martian, no spoilers. Uh, yeah, I liked it, read the book, liked Ex it. Ex Machina, that was a really good movie. That, that's one that I have on my list, but Teresa won't watch it with me, so I've not watched it. It's a good movie. I would watch that with my spouse. Uh, it is not as uh, creepy as the trailer uh, oh, interesting. Um, what was the last one? Ted two. Uh, <laughs> because I ran out of movies to watch, and that was the only one that Delta had that piqued my interest. Uh, solid pass on Ted two. Um, yeah, I mean, did you have to see it to know that? <laughs> I don't know. And then I watched uh, Spy, which was a good well, the Melissa McCarthy movie that was really I was actually really good really yeah i know like i i I thought it was gonna be super trashy when i saw the trailers and then everyone was like reviewed it like amazingly and it was up for like nominations and stuff and i mean it's not like the best movie of your year it's like you know it's it is what it is it's a comedy you know like a quasi trashy comedy but it actually is she's really good in it and it's a very it's not as dopey of a spy movie as you would uh presume huh now that one seems like it'd be good with a spouse yeah, for sure. That's a good movie. But anyway, yeah. So uh, again, hot takes. Go 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 watch some movies. <laughs> good. All right, time for our meaty topics. But before that, let's get another sponsor out of the way. Right. Uh, who's up next? Rollbar. Oh, I'm so glad you asked for Rollbar. Uh, they are a not 
as new as they used to be, but still exciting sponsor of our show. So one of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors, relying on... I thought you were going to say people. (laughs) No, that's that's the (laughs) most... The most frustrating thing about being a developer. Errored people. Dealing with atrophic people. (laughs) That's a funny idea, to make a list of the types of people as a developer that are most problematic to deal with. Yeah, exactly. Now, who do you think is at the top of the list? I feel like other developers are either at the top or the bottom of the list. Yeah, yeah. High variance on the other developers. Huge, huge. (laughs) Whereas, like, product management? Hmm. Always kind of high in the list. Yeah. Yeah. There's variance there, but yes. <laughs> uh, CEO? Very low on the list, right, Kyle? <laughs> so low. <laughs> Not even on the list, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, so one of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors, relying on users to report errors, digging through log files, trying to debug issues, or a million alerts flooding your inbox and ruining your day. With Rollbar, you get the context, insights, and control you need to find and fix bugs faster, and with a lot less noise. Rollbar works with all major languages and frameworks, including Ember, which I, for the third ad read in a row, said that I'm going to try Rollbar with and haven't, which means Rollbar gets an extra ad read some other time when I actually get to it. Uh, It's easy to install. You can start tracking production errors and deployments in eight minutes or less. Can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow and send alerts to Slack or HipChat. Automatically create new issues in GitHub, Jira, Pivotal Tracker, and Base uh, and more. And uh, I said Basecamp as a uh, a little slip. They did not say that they integrate with Basecamp. Do you think that that's because they don't, or because like what's the point? Oh man! <laughs> and why so much for that Basecamp sponsorship? Well, while you exactly while you're uh, answering that question, I'm going to look it up to see it, which one it is. Do they integrate? And they didn't feel like it was important to mention it, or do they not integrate? Wait, integrate with Basecamp? Or I'm going to say Campfire is included in that. Oh, oh, oh. I, I think it's probably. I mean, saying Campfire, I feel like immediately. It's kind of like, I feel like saying we integrate with Campfire is the same as I've been a back surgeon for 30 years. (laughs) That's a hot take right there. (laughs) Shots fired. (laughs) Uh, Now, in the search results that came... Oh, interesting. So back, uh, a result that was... Yep, from a blog post from 2013, to make your point, they integrated with Campfire. Hmm. It's interesting it's not in the uh, comments anymore, though. No, it is. So integrations, Campfire. So the answer is, yes, it integrates with Campfire, and no, it was not important enough to mention in the ad. Just saying, that may be an ingredient into your uh, selling of, or your, you know, changing your position from before. Hmm. Anyhow, there's a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners. You can go to rollbar.com slash ruby. Sign up and get the bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. That's basically 300,000 errors tracked for free. It's loved by developers at companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Instacart, Zendek, Desk, Twitch, and more. You can give Rollbar a try today. Go to rollbar.com slash ruby. Thanks to them for sponsoring. Whew. All right. So we have three meteor topics. Uh, do you want me to pick one or do you want to pick one? Why don't you pick one? There were three. 
<laughs> oh man well i mean all you have to know is one for your role in this uh this moment in the conversation um wow total misfire here sean here we go i'll give you some options that's why i said i was the janitor for goodness sakes mm-hmm. uh test speed which i'm gonna say is not the best of the three but anyhow uh, you know, so how important or not it is to have a test suite or part of a suite that runs quickly. Um, bringing new people onto your team, how to do that effectively, uh, either from the perspective of someone that's been a new team member or someone that's bringing on new team members or both. And uh, the third is something I am dealing with right now, which is uh, in my notes, I typed the lossiness of abstractions, which is I've got two similar projects I'm working on and debating whether to combine them into one sort of abstraction, one application that serves both situations or to not do that, which I think is actually a very good topic. Yeah, let's talk about abstractions. All right. Want me to tell you a bit about the situation? Please tell our listeners so that I can give you my hot take since I didn't do it in chat today. Yeah, okay. So I have two, my business has two uh, contracts and they are for similar um, services. They're both without going into the details much. They're both for uh, versions of automated recruiting. So in both cases, companies that have to hire many of a certain type of job, it's not the same type of job for each of them, but they're, you know, similar. Would you say you're the Uber for recruiting? Uh, no, no. What about I would the not. Slack for recruiting? I would not say that. Okay. Just trying to get by. Sorry. Just put one so the foot. base camp for recruiting. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. Oh, just trying to put one. Man. Just trying to hang on. Just trying I'm to not making any friends with my homies <laughs> at base camp. Tell you just what. Just trying to hang on. Oh lord. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, the the contracts are both, I think, what you'd call business process outsourcing. So they're not contract development. It's not like they said, "Hey, develop X," and my company's developing it for them. They said, "We do a lot of X." And we don't want to do that anymore and because because it's too expensive and we're not good enough at it. So instead, we're going to have you do it, you know, your company do it. And, uh, you know, it'll be better and, and maybe cost the same. So, so that's sort of the background. Uh, now, the two processes are, are cousins minimally at each other. They both involve recruiting, which would be like, you know, forecasting of requirements and advertising and job applications and segmentation of applicants and something like a selection process, although it differs quite a bit between the two and something like a offer process, although that also differs quite a bit between the two and some amount of reporting. So like you zoom out. 20,000 feet. And these things sound similar. They both sound like automated recruiting problems. But when you zoom in, like you get, you know, to 1,000 feet, they start to look a lot different. Like the particular situations are actually significantly different. Um, and the question is, uh, these, two these two business process outsourcing contracts start at virtually the same time, like almost exactly the same time. So if ever there was a, a situation where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to combine these two into a single, you know, uh, base camp for recruiting, this would be the moment. And the question is, should I? You know, like, what are the like, wh what are the reasons why you would? What are the reasons why uh, you wouldn't? And which path should I go down? 
this is totally real life right now, like literally happening as as I uh, worked earlier today. So what's your hot take? How would you approach that problem? So, Sean, um, I'm glad you asked me. Uh, I'm not a fan of uh, supposing I understand the abstractions in advance in general. Yeah. Um, I don't think it generally leads to good decisions. Um, you know, sure, you, you think you understand the problem space of each relatively well, but uh, inevitably all of us think that and then when you put pencil to paper things change a little bit as you go and oh and so, i don't even think that for what it's worth sure yeah yeah i i I'm, i guess i'm not even saying that you do but in, you know if you were you know if you were to say listen i i think that I, I understand the common parts of these two relatively well it'd be pretty safe to do that i don't like doing it that way i think that uh i really prefer to build the systems see where they might look more similar in the future and then either abstract systems that you can share between the two. Um, maybe that's a notifications platform of some sort, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I also think that, you know, uh, that's not something that you're probably going to do an excellent job of at the start. I also think it's going to slow you down a ton. Um, you know, knowing that you're, you know, trying to solve these two business needs, uh, building something that's completely separate, I think is going to be relatively slower and not necessarily better. You don't know that it'll be better. Um, because you know, if you end up finding that, you know, halfway through that an assumption you made, there's a divergence between the two systems, the two, the two problems you're trying to solve for these two different companies, it's going to be a huge pain in the butt to try and fix that. So, uh, I, I definitely am the type of person that likes to, you know, I don't know, like mold things, you know, with pencil and then see where the, you know, see where there's commonality or, or places that you can really cement a good system in place. Um, and then do that afterwards. Uh, because ultimately in this scenario, you're bringing something unique to these businesses. You're not really cementing even a process that they currently have that you, they're, you're just like digitizing. That's not really what you're doing. You're, you're solving a unique problem for each one of these companies. They're both doing recruiting, which means you're still going to have to contact people, keep track of people, do some CRM-ish type things for both of them. But um, I would definitely hesitate to start with, um, you know, with with a single system uh, that, you know, then you would build off of. I would definitely start with each and then maybe ping pong between them. So at least you can apply the lessons you learn in one onto the next one and then say, oh, yeah, you know what? Um both of them are going to have to send very similar emails. So maybe there's a Rails engine that you can pull out to do, you know, mailers uh, about the life cycle of an applicant or something. Um, but but I, I would I would wait until you get to that point instead of trying to go in uh, with the supposition that you're going to be able to, to make a, a good system that will solve both use cases. Yeah, I lean, I lean there too, or maybe more than lean, I think I am there. Um, and I think it's interesting because if you think about the decision that those companies made to outsource their business process, and I think this would be true for lots of situations that are like this, um, they have tools that are the abstraction of the recruiting process now. Like they own all those things. And all of the, the sort of the lossiness of those abstractions that are made for, you know, that make up these general purpose recruiting tools are the problem to some degree. You know, like that, that's why they're unable to really automate the whole thing is that, the, you know, 
the parts that they, the, the off the shelf tools that they have aren't purpose built to solve their particular needs. Like I can see it looking at these two companies that could buy the same off the shelf stuff. And for both of them, it wouldn't quite work. Um, it's interesting to think about how, you know, where we are right now with open source frameworks that you, that it's feasible to just cook up a whole new from scratch app in both cases. Cause so much of it, you don't have to write. Yeah. Yeah. I heard yeah. that expression, the lossiness of abstraction on the uh, Exponent podcast the other day with Ben Thompson and uh, who's Ben's co-host? Oh, hell. Uh, ben Thompson and his co-host, who I'll remember later. <laughs> see, yeah. see everyone, see how much he cares about the co-host? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, see how atrophic his memory is. It's uh, No, I missed it. Uh, yeah. James Allworth. That's that's the name of the co-host. <laughs> so James Allworth and Ben Thompson. Uh, ben said uh, he was talking about AWS and uh, Dropbox's choice to go off of it, and uh, he wasn't thinking that that was a good idea. But he was talking about the the sort of uh, lossiness of abstraction, at least why it may make sense to build something more purpose built. And I thought he did a good job of framing this choice, and I thought I thought you did too. So it's settled. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I I've just never heard of someone going in, and really nailing it from the start. You know, I've only ever heard of success stories where like down the road, what and that could be weeks, that could be days. You know, it doesn't need to be like months or years or anything. But you you sit back and you look at these two systems and you or two app you know programs that are solving users' needs and go, oh, if I you know extract this and make them both you know use it then they both win with very little risk but at this point i'm I, i'm guessing that you would risk solving each need particularly well in order to you know get some efficiency which will probably cost you in the long run especially given that you know you have a very clear <laughs> measurement of success for both of these systems you know right yeah. uh, instead of like you know clicks or views or whatever yeah i think you're right i think without question the quality would be worse uh, and it'd probably be more expensive. Well, that's the other thing too. I was going to say. I mean, my uh, assumption. You know, let's just assume it's a team of three working on both. You know, or whatever. A which which it is actually. Okay. And so, if that's the case, like taking taking that out is r like taking a, a subsystem out or building a single system and then building two applications that use that single system is operationally expensive in dollars operationally expensive in person power you know and then operationally expensive in spreading out that knowledge in such a way that everyone truly understands how all these things are built to work together you know um like microservices are great when they work but when they don't work it requires a lot of knowledge and a lot of understanding across the team and it's difficult to do that effectively. Same as like onboarding new people. It's very difficult to, to spread that knowledge around in an effective way. And so I would hate to hamstring a, a smaller, you know, trio by saying, okay, there's, there's three applications here. There's the, the service that we're going to call against and then, you know, product A and then product B, uh, you know, and then always having to sort of deal with that uh, as you continue to work, I think is going to be very taxing. Uh, for a small team, but even taxing for a larger team. So I've come to this uh, sort of philosophy about microservices, which is that I sort of like them, and they virtually, all, every time I, I think, you know what, this would be good architecturally for a microservice, if that's the case, which it is sometimes, there almost always is a third party that's doing it better than I could do it. 
It, well, usually Google does it better than I could do it. Like you just pick one company here. Like, you know, I had this the other day. I needed URL shortening. Now, this is an obvious one where you may look to Google. Um, but I was like, okay, I need URL shortening because I'm texting all of these links that get too long and they're, you know, they're uh, getting broken up or they would get broken up on Android or old cell phones, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's what I'm worried about. So I need to shorten these links. You know, good, ex and I needed to do it in two separate applications at the same time. Um, good example of a microservice, I think, uh, that would that'd be smart. Um, and almost every time I think that, uh, I think, geez, well, which, you know, gigantic third-party, you know, internet company already offers this exact microservice for me? Yeah. Usually is one. Yeah. Google's URL shortener, the, the, their API for that is absurdly fast. So fast that I thought about caching the request. Well, or in fact, I did cache the request um, or the result from the request and then figured out that it was no faster to do it. Interesting. Because there was no difference between like, you know, looking it up in memcache because it wasn't on the same box or calling Google. Yeah. So they are now my caching service for them. <laughs> uh so one, one thing that I think about, and then we'll get off this topic about this lossiness of abstractions when I use GitHub, is it's pretty obvious that when you create an issue that the comment, uh, not comment, the description of the issue, that the first comment of an issue, I'm not sure what you call that actually, but the, the, the description box, like the first comment box directly below the title of the issue, yep. that, that, that that is a comment, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Uh, if you were to do it all over again, if you were, you know, Mr. GitHub, would you have had them share commenting as what they are, or would that have been better as a separate thing? Uh, have what share commenting exactly? So a, a GitHub issues body is a comment, I think. It certainly appears to be one. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Uh, like the, it looks to be the first comment on an issue. Yeah, like the, the, the quote-unquote first comment, the thing you fill out when you create a new issue is a separate object. It's like the issue's body. It's, it's, oh, it's not, it's not a comment. No, it just acts like one when it comes to reactions and other things like that. Oh, so that's, that's exactly what you'd want then. Yeah. Yeah, GitHub is the master of uh, no abstractions. <laughs> is that right? I mean, uh, it's, I'm being a little bit pejorative, but yeah, uh, the application is is relatively you know straightforward in the in the way that it thinks. And usually, abstractions come later. Um, you know, like sequences. I believe, like the fact that your issues start from one. You know, every new project starts from one. Um, that was an abstraction that was pulled out later, and now we have a system, I believe, called sequences, or not a system, but uh, you know, some code that we can pull in whenever we want uh, something to count from one, even though the underlying ID is some like random number. Uh, I like the idea of always uh, referring to code as some code instead of like the high flute name someone gives it. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Bill over here wrote some code to do. <laughs> yeah. X, X and Y. I just shrug every time I say the phrase "some code." I'm like, I just give one of those, like, eh, you know, <laughs> meh, some code. <laughs> uh, and like, props to the people who wrote it. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. So I mean, like, most of that stuff comes like way after, you know. Yeah. Like hookshot, right? Like webhooks were just other rescue jobs in the main application. 
you know, that was abstracted later. Back uh, in the good old days. To be a whole separate system when it when it needed to, but it wasn't it didn't start that way. What pushed it to need to be a different system? Uh, so many jobs in the main system like were being slowed down because of hook delivery, you know? And so you could say, I, I, and I wasn't there when this happened, but my presumption would be that, you know, um, Rick at the time would have said, okay, well, we'll make it on a separate queue and then we'll only give it so many workers and then, mm-hmm. you know, so on and so forth. But uh, when you wanted to track, like, should we actually deliver to this? How many times have these deliveries been successful? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it doesn't need to rely on the main application and you kind of create a nice little breaking point in a good way, you know, between the two. Um, but I don't know if I would have started it that way, you know, when I joined where I would have said, I'm going to build a whole separate service because again, operationally, in in every way it's it's more difficult in my opinion um but it at some point it gives you a lot of benefits but you kind of have to truly know what why you want to break this thing out to, to 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 reap any of those benefits yeah well i'll report back so in in each of these cases they're getting the the application side of the business up and running is like a two and a half to three month process probably at least that's, that's the idea uh, so what does that mean? That means maybe in July, uh, I'll be able to look back at this and say, you know, what was the, what were the costs and benefits of going this route? Cause I'm going to do what you said. That's, that was my plan. We'll see. Report back. We will see. Uh, I'm going to do one last sponsor before we hit our last segment. It's dev bootcamp. Are you thinking about becoming a software developer? Well, if you are, you should check out Dev Bootcamp, the original short-term immersive software development program that transforms those new to coding into job-ready, full-stack web developers. You can learn front-end, back-end web development, teamwork, and leadership skills in a rigorous and inclusive environment. Dev Bootcamp has several locations around the country and is accepting applications right now. You can visit devbootcamp.com slash Ruby to learn more. They've graduated over 1,900 people uh, at this point from their program. They've got a unique nine weeks remote, uh, uh, part-time, nine weeks on-site full-time, and one-week career prep um, structure. I think it's pretty thought through. They explain it well on the website. Again, go to devbootcamp.com slash Ruby to learn more. Thanks to them for sponsoring. All right. Want to talk new people? New people. Now you said you've got some new people that are starting, started. Started. Yeah. Hey, everybody. <laughs> are they on your team? They're court ordered podcast. Um, uh, yes, they're on my team. <laughs> wow. Now, how many people were on your team before? Um, there were five people. Five. And how many uh, are there now? Twelve. Wow. Mm-hmm. They say that it takes one person to change the culture of a pretty big organization. So I think if I think seven people have already changed the culture of your team. Yes. <laughs> is this accurate? Yes, it is. Well, it'll, it'll reveal all sorts of stuff real quick, like how much uh, tribal knowledge, so to speak, there is floating between the uh, bet- between the words, between the lines. Oh yeah, for sure. I think I think I mean, there's a million things we could talk about here. Like, this probably could be an entire episode. But one of the things that I think has been really interesting—we've <laughs> got many to fill, so we can just carry is, it over. <laughs> is like, uh, have you read that Google article? Like, what makes a perfect team? 
No. Uh, I'll, I'll have to link it to you. Uh, Google Google wrote an article basically like how they like went out to basically craft a perfect team and what they learned in the process and you know uh, blah blah blah. But like one of the things that it, it really touches on is you know trust, which is kind of a duh. But like you know how do you craft a situation where you and your teammates can trust each other so that you're willing to take risks and willing to provide critical feedback without worrying about retribution, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and all things like that, which is easy to do in some ways when you're four people, you know, or five people, uh, because especially if if you've been around each other for a while, uh, you know, the the risk is relatively low, you know, you you understand each other a bit better and you go, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to do this thing. Oh, God, it completely failed. And you're not worried that they're all going to rat you out or they don't have your back or anything like that. Um, but jumping to 12 people, no matter how you shake that, it's really difficult. And there's no real way uh, that we've found yet to, to truly um, like cheat that system. You know, and be like, we're going to trust each other. And so I think corporate America would be like, all right, let's do some team building exercises. Well, uh, I don't think you can. Right. I mean, it's thing. like, you know how uh, any of the meals that you cook in 30 minutes or less, like, you know, Rachel Ray specials, they they don't taste like integrated holes, right? They, yeah. taste, they taste like, you know, some pasta plus some broccoli and some lemon juice and some, you know, whatever. Uh, kind of like sort of assembled but not integrated and i think same goes with a team you build quickly yep like uh, you know whereas uh, stew you cook all day or the sunday sauce that you make you know for the for the family all afternoon well it tastes like one thing not like six things that are commingling yeah yeah, yeah for sure. and like no one's figured out how to make the sunday sauce in 25 minutes yet yeah yet <laughs> <laughs> exactly there's some nestle uh food scientist is shaking his fist at the sky right now yeah exactly on his on his on his uh <laughs> drive home from the food factory um speaking of so i uh, quick aside have you seen the uh documentary miniseries cooked on netflix no yeah. you should watch it you'd like it it's um so there's a michael pollan you know who he is? He's the guy that wrote yep. uh, Omnivore's Dilemma. Mm-hmm. So he wrote this book, Cooked, kind of like a cooking-related sequel to that. And this is a like a documentary movie in four parts. Uh, so say a, I don't know, three-and-a-half-hour uh, miniseries um, version of that book. It was excellent. I, I found that it really affected me. Like I've thought about that. Uh, I've thought about it many times since, including right now, because I think he does a great job of of um exploring why it is that that hmm. trying to speed things up is difficult hmm. anyhow so yeah. so so what's the takeaway then so if if you if you've decided that you can't take seven brand new people and like microwave them into a you know integrated hole then what do you do in the interim just slow cook it yeah i mean i think that you know i i i think so honestly right now i mean i think that can't fake it and so you just have to you know let the people who have been around for a while continue to work the way that they you know they have been working or thinking uh they should work and and and, you know basically the culture that they want to continue um but also acknowledge that this isn't in a vacuum i mean these are like human beings these are people you know these are your new teammates and so the reality is that there is going to be change no matter what, you know, and it, it, some of it's going to be good and some of it's not, but it's a matter of 
you know, not trying to cling blindly to the way that things used to work because wow, we are working so well. I mean, if you hire new people, it's because you need to do more, you know, or you wanted to do more than you could do in the past. So this um, was hiring. It wasn't because of like an acquisition or some other yeah, no, no, no. big this bang was just hiring. Yep. It was just an accidental, you know, we found a bunch of good people. I was going to say, you sent out offer letters to all the candidates, not just one. <laughs> yeah, and everyone said yes. I, I I don't think that's how it worked out. But but I mean, it's one of those things that's kind of difficult. But it, like you said, it definitely brings up, you know, like even even as a team that really likes to document stuff. And I've always said, you know, in previous episodes, you know, spend the time to write stuff down. Spend the time to explain how to boot things up. Uh, it's still, you know... If, if you're not regularly bringing people into the system, those documents inevitably get old or you're blind to them as someone who doesn't have to read them every time you run the system. And as the systems change, the docs don't change. They get old. New people come in and they go, well, yeah, I understand there's these docs, but like they're not right. <laughs> you know, and the older people are going, but they're docs like, you know figure it out and so it's a when i was a kid we said thank you when i was a kid when i was a kid i didn't even have the docs i wrote the docs from scratch uphill both ways but oh the struggle how do you deal no it's you know it's like it's been really in a a lot of ways it's been really great it's just uh it's 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 a lot of hard work and i don't think i think we had a relatively good idea of that coming in i don't think that we were anticipating having so many people start at the same time um but you know hiring someone i mean it it seemingly you lose a, a developer you know for some period of time i don't know the number of weeks but it would seem that you're you you know if you have three people on a team and you add one now you have two developers on the team for some period of time it's like chemistry i remember that in chemistry class you know like the you add something and and like the 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 molecules you had bond to the thing that you just added and now you've got less of the thing and like something evaporated (laughs) yep and now I'm over here atrophy, atro- atro- atrophic. <laughs> and then you've got no kidney. That's what freaking happens. <laughs> and then you have, so the, the moral of today's episode, don't hire people, you'll lose your kidney. <laughs> you'll lose your kidney. <laughs> now, are they all, are all seven programmers? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think so. Uh, a bunch, yeah, I think so. I think they're all programmers. Uh, we also have a designer too, I think, but I, I'm not sure if I'm counting uh, him in that uh, bucket, but... <laughs> What's the ratio at GitHub of, like, I don't even want to say it this way, but what one would think of as front end uh, and not, so. I, don't even I honestly that. have no idea. Really? Yeah, I mean, we're on the platform team, and so we have, uh, like, <laughs> no, one. No designers. <laughs> we have one designer. Gotcha. Uh, Full time, so no idea. But it's been great. I mean, it's been a lot of hard work, but... It's been it's been it's been nice so far. Let's brainstorm a top ten list of uh, things that the new person hopes will be there when they get there. Oh man, awesome! I'm gonna take notes since I've got people starting in a couple weeks. So. Yeah, <laughs> please do my thinking for me, Kyle. Yeah, no go? problem. Great. So, yeah. So I would say number one. Uh, uh, I'm just gonna go for broke because I get how we have this, but a script that will bootstrap your project so let's go a step above a readme that describes you know copy this gem file copy this database.yaml like a script that just does all that for them um is a huge win 
Um, I would say number two is probably, there's no way we're going to get to 10, by the way. Number two is probably, uh, you know, documentation on how to troubleshoot systems. Um, and so this is kind of only applicable if you're not bringing people into a new project, because um, some of this will be built as you go. But uh, one of the things that makes new people, uh, in my opinion, feel extremely valued is when they can troubleshoot a bug or a customer request or help someone else on the team. And a lot of that comes down to figuring out, okay, where is this data stored? How do I use this tool called Splunk to do uh, query searching? How do I, you know, dot, dot, dot. Um, that, that's something that needs to at least be written down as a jumping off point so people can sort of start and figure out, uh, you know, where do we go from here? Uh, now, do you think that GitHub's um, assortment of tools that it's built itself for its various needs over the years make it easier or harder inside your first two weeks to get going? Honestly, harder. Yeah, I would think. You know, I mean, if you've come from an outside tool or uh, outside company and you use Sentry, right? Now you have to learn Haystack at GitHub. Like there's no there's no tool that you're gonna come in and know how to use this thing, uh, so in a lot of ways I think external tools help just because it it allows new people to come on and get onboarded a, a lot faster. Is there like a so what there like so what maybe that would have been the better path or like the break even is n weeks so whatever it's worth it. Yeah, I mean it's uh, I don't know if I don't know that it's better. You know, I think it's probably uh, up in the air right now if it's better. Uh, I think that it's the, the, the internal tools that we still use are generally used because they're better at something or they're more highly integrated into the overall systems. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, if we're valuing adding in more people quickly, probably makes sense to move to a tool that people might have had experience with. Mm -hmm. you know i don't i don't recommend building internal tools as much as possible uh or as much as maybe github has uh described in the past i think that it provide it's great to scratch your own itch but in a lot of times the 90 percent solution is better than the 99 percent solution that you've built yourself has that cultural pendulum swung back a bit now um like, you know, whereas three years ago, the company, three years ago, would the company have been more or less likely to like roll its own tool for XYZ because it didn't like the 90% solution? Um, probably a little bit more likely. I mean, I think the reality is as a company, as, as we've matured, but I think any company has matured and you get at a certain scale, having to run all these services and tools that also have to consume that scale gets very difficult. You know, and so is it better to have all these people that are running servers for internal tools or is it better to buy, you know, I don't know, Airbrick and run that or whatever tool, you know, insert tool of your choice. Um, I don't Ro think roll bar, uh, maybe like roll bar. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard of them. The first 30, 300,000 errors are free. Uh -huh. um, but yeah. All right. How to troubleshoot systems. Come on. You can get a few more things out, you know, th things that would be great if you started today. Um, if I started today, so one of the things that I've been really big on, which is kind of a soft thing, but describing that there is not an expectation for you to ship code to show your value immediately. You know, I feel like when you're a developer and you get into a new company, you feel like, okay, I gotta, I gotta like write some code. I gotta like write this so they know they didn't waste all their money on me, uh, and I'm not a big giant fraud. And so you, you write all this code, uh, but you don't 
entirely have context of the company, the systems, uh, you know, really knowing the problem you're trying to solve. And so inevitably, a lot of the solutions you come up with are have holes in them or are difficult to review and so on and so forth. And so I'm not saying like, don't write code at all. But I, I like to make it clear to people that it's okay to feel like you're going slow right now, you know, because I think it's better for the overall team to have slow methodical PRs at first um, than have a bunch of new code that needs to be reviewed by the larger team. Uh, you know, that, that can definitely slow down the overall progress of the system. So when you're bringing on new people, I like to, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, I like to kind of make that expectation known that like you've already won, like we, we hired you, <laughs> you know, like we'll, like we'll, we'll make sure that you're, you know, doing well later for now, like just try and, understand like the system around you and ask a lot of questions and feel okay knowing that you might only ship a PR this week or two or whatever number is relevant. The chorus is so loud outside my window right now that I, I thought I heard you say, um, let them know that I'm not a big giant frog. <laughs> Man, Sean, I think these I think these spring peepers might have like some sort of mind control situation. I guess so. Maybe that's what their what that's what their song says. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think clear expectations on that point. I think clear expectations are are essential when someone's getting started. Because mm -hmm. it could be, I mean, hey, I could imagine some organization feeling differently than you just said, which is like, oh, sure, you know, hey, don't ship something mission critical, but over here in a place where you can't break stuff, you're darn right you're going to ship code. Like, right. I, you know, I, right. and I don't even think that'd be wrong exactly. No, just no, no, no. It, as long as it was clear what the expectation is. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, I think that uh, an easy win to solve a lot of arguments uh, is to either have a style guide or point to a style guide. Um, like for example, Sean, like I don't know if on your two projects, like it's worth you sitting down one day and going like, this is the this is how we'd like you to write Ruby code, you know. Um, but I would find one that you find amenable, and then just say, "Yep, this is the one we're gonna do." And maybe there's like three exceptions or something, um, just to just to avoid all those conversations and useless PR comments around like you should have spaces after the arguments and the parentheses. Oh no, we're not gonna, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's little stuff that sort of adds up. And I think as new people try to find ways to contribute back. Um, there's a lot of that style of review of code or commenting commentary on code and it's great just to say oh no no just read this style guide and you know sure bring it up if it is in conflict with that but otherwise just uh let it ride you know i think i i think i may be wrong on this point of view but here we go i'm going to share it anyways <laughs> sometimes i feel like the programmers sort of focus on style guides is is revealing about their social skills like, like the programming communities focus on style on style guys because like you don't worry in lots of social interactions like th that you need to explicitly define how you're to communicate ideas you kind of like look around and say how does everyone else communicate ideas and like how do I fit in and if I want to change how they communicate their ideas then maybe I should subtly shift towards the ideal that I think is better and but you know fit in basically between here and there until everyone else sees it my way like that's how we, you know generally people work and it's my take is like how about just do that for the most part i feel like you're 
I feel like you're generalizing behavior that isn't as general as you would think. <laughs> Wait, no, I think you're right. But, like, <laughs> but in other words, like it, it's not that t- like, let's say you and I were, were working on a project together right now and, and either it was already going let's say it was already going yeah i mean if it was already going and you and you were like kyle i need an extra set of hands for a week can you help me out and i go sure the the cardinal rule that i would live by is write the code in the style in which the code has already been written right like that's all i do and it might pain me to write something some way but i am not even gonna bring it up because that's not the value i'm bringing to that project you know unless i'm explicitly being brought into a project from a like kyle we've been doing this for months the team isn't working well together the code's crappy there's no tests, like whatever like help us figure out a good process then i might be like okay well here you go but generally speaking open source projects everything github services if you contribute to github services please just write the code the way it's written and i know it's not good but like it makes it so much easier to, to to work on as a team when everyone is just going, okay, it looks like in this file, every single quotation mark is double quotes. So don't put one in that single quotes. I don't care. You know, right. like little things like that. Um, well, I feel like it's such a tell that someone's immature, not going to get judgy about it, when they feel this way. Because, uh, and here's why I think this. That I, I work on a lot of different projects. Like, you know, my company has, let me think about it. Like, so in this week, or not, let me pick two weeks. In, in a two-week window, I will work on at least seven apps right now. So call it three Ember, th- four, no, four Ember, three Rails. Like, in this last two weeks that I've worked on. And the reason that I know that, or that I think it's immature to feel any way other than what you just said, is that, even though I wrote like the majority of every one of those apps, they each have their own style because they weren't all written at the same time. And like, you know, so my style has evolved over the time, over time, but I adopt whatever style each was written in. And I don't mean style, like just double quotes, single quotes, tabs and whatnot, but I mean like more nuanced than that. Yeah, like, sure, sure. you know, like, uh, this one uses a bunch of custom matchers for a given thing. And that one hasn't had it ported to it yet. Right, mm-hmm. so like, if I'm in the one that does it uh, using sort of convention A, I just adopt convention A, and then when I switch to the other app that I also wrote that I also control, I switch to the other convention, and it's like you just sort of go like every time I open my text editor, you sort of like assess the room and say, well, I guess I'm, I guess it's that kind of party, <laughs> you know, that's how I'm going to roll. Yeah, you know, like, have you not been to that many parties? If you've got that opinion of that, like, well, you know, I, there was a right style. I just feel like you haven't been to, you know, you haven't socialized quite enough yet. <laughs> oh, man. Sean, shots fired. Right? I can tell that you think the same way. Yeah, I just don't say those things that way. <laughs> oh, All right, so you've, you've, uh, you've got four out. Give me, give me five. Um, Give me one more. Let's see. So we've covered how to get onboarded. Troubleshooting, clear expectations, styles. Yeah, I mean... Man, I guess guess my thing is that it's mainly about the soft concerns. You know? Like, uh, uh, I'm really big on 
providing feedback to people as well. So it's not just setting expectations. It's going, hey, like this thing you're doing isn't working very well, or hey, this thing you're doing is really excellent. Um, and, and, and I think for especially new people on a team, I think that's a great way for you to build trust and culture across the team, you know, is just say, okay, uh, this is something that, you know, I saw in a PR that I, I don't want to call you out publicly on, but I want to let you know why I think this was uh, not a great thing. Or, hey, I noticed that you did this really awesome thing, and maybe this is in public chat, you know, or, or whatever, or in person uh, saying, hey, you did this awesome thing. I just want to say I noticed it, and that's great. I think that that's, um, like... Uh, not something that needs to be left to the person leading the team or the manager of the team or of the, uh, you know, that part of the organization. I think peer feedback is probably the most valuable feedback. Um, if it's honest and straightforward and sometimes critical. Um, and so I, I definitely think that's something that is, has in the past really helped uh, the team I'm on. And I think we'll continue to is just letting each other provide feedback outside of, you know, the sort of quintessential feedback cycles and whatnot that your company may or may not have. And how you do that is going to affect the culture a lot because whatever you put out is going to come back at you pretty quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Directly or indirectly. But, I mean, it won't be long before you're like, hold on. Am I I hearing my own jerkiness in this person's response? Yeah, totally. Yeah, you have to be careful that you're not, uh, you know, making a snap judgment or seeing something and going, hey, 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 I just saw this. Like, what the hell is this about? You know, let it stew. Let it wait. You know, take five minutes, whatever amount of time makes sense for you. But um, I do think that that's one of those things that's really going to help um your team gel you know if you have a bunch of new people or even just one or two new people uh, at a time you know uh what is it praise publicly and criticize privately um and do it in uh you know as much of a hmm, not not the way you would want it to be done because everyone likes to receive feedback differently but you know like you said do it in as as measured of a way that is as critical of the work and not of the person as possible no ad hominem attacks.com. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you meant to say is ad hominem. <laughs> I remember it took me like hearing that phrase a hundred times before, because I remember I you know, hadn't been a programmer my whole life, and that, that, that expression I just didn't hear before I was in the programming community. Yeah, that's exactly why. Is it used? Does anyone else know that, that expression? I mean, I've heard it. I would never use it just because I don't hear it enough. Exactly. I mean, what kind of dumbass would like try and use like an argument like that? Do you get it? Do you get my point? Yeah, 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 yeah. A little too on the nose. (laughs) Uh, Now, do you think when there's someone new that's starting, um, do you think about? And this may be a wicked, stupid question. Do you think about like, okay, how do I want to engage with them, or do you feel like you know what? Like I'm just sort of. Uh, I'm what I am now, and you know I don't even think about how I want to control that. I just you know let it fly we, 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 on that spectrum of like carefully deliberating about what kind of collaborator you want to be at this point in your career, and just like rolling with whatever you are. Where do you fall? Um, I'm pretty careful. I mean, I I like to I like to think that on a team, part of what makes it work is when you can communicate without necessarily needing to be explicit about everything because you know sean you know how i prefer to work and vice versa but with new people you can't i thought you preferred not to work (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, any anyhow 
but you know, w- when when you have new people, obviously you can't really make that assumption. And so I like to be very clear about when I say something publicly or privately, you know, this is my intention, you know? And so it might be, hey, I'm not really sure why we're working on this project or this like task or why you're working on this task. And, you know, I can be, I can try to be as clear about saying, you know, I'm not judging the fact that you've chosen this. I don't know that our team's process picked the right task for you. Like something like that, you know, where I want to be careful, especially because most of our conversation is in text chat at GitHub. Um, you know, some of it's over video, but most of it's over text chat. Uh, just being sure that, it's not so much that I think to myself, all right, I need to change the way I work because there's these new people here. I think that's inevitable whether you want to acknowledge it or not. It's more so that I want to make sure that I am not saying something I didn't say because it's being perceived, you know, uh, differently than I anticipated. And so I do think it's taxing to, to add new people personally uh, because of that, you know, I, I want to make sure that when I when I do provide criticism or uh, or I say something in chat that it's you know being taken for what I meant it and not for uh, you know maybe how it came off or oh Kyle who's been here for a while said this thing and you know oh geez it's it's you know yeah you'll figure out what he means you know right 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 isn't what he says whatever I've been find I, I found myself recently and I don't know if this is nostalgia or. Uh, to some more useful sort of uh, cue, but I used to be significantly more intense than I am now. Oh man, really? Oh, I think like an order of magnitude. I really, I'm glad I met you after you were watered down, Sean. <laughs> you should ask Teresa. I'm not so. sure we would be friends if we were. Uh, if I met you at uh, intense, Sean. <laughs> this wasabi is about as much as I like, sir. Uh, <laughs> You should ask Teresa. Oh, I think I'm not joking. I'm pretty sure I was about an order of magnitude more or more more intense then. This is say like I don't know, ten years ago. Sure, five to ten years ago, maybe even. Yeah, five, five, six to ten. Yeah, and so I. The reason I've been thinking about it is that I, for a while, I was pretty happy that I mellowed out. I was like, you know, that I probably was burning a little hot back then. Not, not good for the engine. Uh, <laughs> but now I'm like not that guy anymore. So like I don't even think I could burn that hot if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, but I also think that uh, therefore like the, the need to knock down the intensity in te- intentionally, which I, I, I think I did. Uh, I question now. I'm like maybe I don't need to anymore. You know, maybe like Uh-oh. age, age and... and uh, you know, I don't know, maturity and wisdom and experience and and uh, fewer kidneys and whatnot has, uh, you know, changed me enough that I can dial it back up and it'll uh, it'll be smoother than it used to be. Yeah. And I've been thinking good, about this a lot because I've got shot. <laughs> I've got new people, you know, that are coming onto the team. And every single time I work with new people, I, I go through the same thought process of like, you know, is my interaction style, is my collaboration style what it should be now? Should I like dial X up or dial Y down? So I'm trying to decide that now. Let the hate flow through you, Sean. No, no hate. <laughs> no hate. <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that's the show, sir. Anything to uh, promote? I don't have a single thing to promote. I'm Kyle Daigle. Uh, follow me on Twitter at kdaigle. Um, yep. All your coworkers, it's like doubled our audience now. It's exciting. 
Oh geez, yeah, that's what I told. That's what I told uh, Chris, the CEO of GitHub. I was like, just if you could just keep hiring people, my <laughs> listenership's going to go right up. Yeah, I'll get right, get right on that, <laughs> Kate Agle. All right, if you want to connect with me on the internet, I am barely known. Till next time, adios.